0: Welcome back to the Hammer and Quill Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 7, where we're going to be talking about dynamic tension, how to live in dynamic tension in a negative world, in a world that is uh, negative towards the Christian vision for life. I'm joined here by my co-hosts, as always, or as usual, Michael and Holly. Welcome, guys. Hi. What's up? We're just hanging here in the study.
1: Just us and Jesse's, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jesse's gallon of water that he brought. In. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. That reminds me, it's time for a sip.
1: Have you heard of a water bottle? Like the the Stanley is uh, one, the Hydro Flask. I've
0: heard of the Stanley. That, oh, you've got one. I have one right here. That's
2: They're, like, they're too big. Guys, they're too big.
0: In my opinion, they're I too bought,
1: small. This is a <laughs> <laughs> I wish the note for the audio. Um, how many, how m- what is that? Is Jesse, it a gallon Jesse of water? It's
0: actually just a three liter. It's a I three liter. I can't do that math. Well, a gallon is 3.785 liters. Three liters. Oh, of you I would know that. that. You would know that. Pool chemicals. It's. <laughs> it's <laughs> So the listener understands, um, this is an Alkaline 88 Smooth Hydration. Ionized H2O. Ionized.
1: (laughs) The bottle literally looks like my mop cleaner. Yeah. But clear.
0: Yeah. But this is purified water enhanced with Himalayan minerals and electrolytes. It's terrible branding. (laughs) To be fair, it's just tap water. No. This is like my fourth time through the bottle, but not today. I'm trying to drink a gallon a day and I wasn't going to even bring it up.
1: That's just tap water. Why are you carrying that around? Where are you going with that? I hope you're not wearing house branding. Can
2: you like take a few gulps next to the (laughs) mic?
0: (laughs) I'm drinking. Listen. Are we sponsored by them? (laughs) The podcast today is brought to you by Alkaline 88. Smooth hydration. <laughs> Listen, enough about my water. Let's talk about our last episode.
1: Uh, come on. Let's talk about your water what, more. What a,
0: fun, <laughs> what a fun episode with our friend, Dr. Danny Truweek. Uh, who just had her book released. Yes. And um, who really pulled a fast one on you, Holly. Ollie How did you did. feel? I don't know. Danny? I was not involved. Okay. That's right. Michael was Michael duped was kind. for about half of it. <laughs> I was duped <laughs> you until really?
2: you showed the orc.
0: Okay. Yeah, when you showed the like giant, giant rock like, bear. was like,
2: oh, that's a demon bear. <laughs> so it
0: was just me and, me and Danny. And it was rude. It was Did rude. Did you go back and re-listen? I stopped listening. I
1: started listening because I thought, oh my goodness, I can't wait to hear us and Danny talk and her saying about paradise on earth. Um, being (laughs) sweet little Radford. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I forgot about about how humiliated I was. And I have received some text messages from some friendos who are off my friendo list because they just
0: send you like drop bear pictures of
1: drop bears or like, I'm sorry you were so scared. Ha 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 ha. Which are you going to call? No, I'm not. But Mm. (sighs) anyway, it was scary for me and you guys don't seem to care. But I mean, no, I, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, no, I mean, I care, but in the way of, like, I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it, (laughs) Like, I
0: had an emotional reaction. It just wasn't to feel bad for you. I mean, the idea that there was a koala strain Uh. of bears that... Only attacked Prayed people who Americans. didn't speak with an Australian accent. I didn't know if they
1: felt less comfortable <laughs> around the accents. Like it just <laughs> felt like in my head it made sense. Like they hear us talking and are like, it get like, out of my continent.
0: It does feel like y- you could do a kind of character study on levels of trust of people. Right. Mm-hmm. And if right. You're a high trust person. Very, yeah. very.
1: It, I genuinely like, am. If
0: you tell me that there's a, killer 12 yep. foot koala bear that only attacks foreigners i believe you yep. but is
2: that crazier than that there are orca whales who are intentionally sinking boats i don't know like yacht, like only this. yachts yeah
0: no they are yeah they're, they're, i don't
1: believe anything y'all say i'm stepping <laughs> out of this conversation <laughs> see
0: that's what i'm
2: saying Maybe. this this is real yeah this is real sure it is. You know, I think the Go- orca, can the be- orca one makes more I sense did, to me. I
1: Googled drop bears and a picture came up and I believed <laughs> true. it. So.
2: Is it crazier than that? There's a phenomenon where the universe is trying to recreate the crab <laughs> in like every species.
1: <laughs> Michael, where are you, what you are you hearing these about?
2: stories? <laughs> you don't know about this phenomenon? Hold on. Are it's, you th- it's got a name. Theorist? It's like carcin or something. Yeah. Do some research, please. What is the phenomenon? <laughs>
1: about crabs.
2: Yeah. I swear about crabs. Uh, Pause, crabs keep listeners. evolving and de-evolving for some reason. Ooh. Carcinization. carciniz is, yeah. <laughs> That's
0: how you say that, right? <laughs> well, I don't know about oh. that.
2: No, That'll for That'll be our next real, season. Guys, that a, can
1: be our next season.
2: There's There are scientific articles about how they've given money for scientists to research.
0: <laughs> You should look
2: it up. It's fascinating. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was great having Danny on. Yes, it was. And, um, you know, she's coming back. Oh, she's going to come visit. So happy. She's going to come visit. And we are going to both be presenting at the, both her and I, at the Evangelical Theolo- Theological Society this November in San Antonio. So that'll be fun. I
1: didn't know you were going.
0: I didn't know you were presenting. <laughs> yeah, presenting. I am. I have a paper I'm reading on what? Wow. Joseph Bellamy nice. and his, uh, his-
1: Congratulations. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Do this we is... get
1: to all come as a staff so we can cheer for um, you loudly? Yeah, we'll clap. We're good at clapping. Yeah.
0: Actually, wouldn't that be great? This, is like, be a nerd, so this is like a nerd forum. If we clapped and everyone looked at us. And, and like, what if you guys came and did like the Arsenio Hall? Like- <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, "That's our guy! <laughs> let's go! Let's go!" <laughs> Who's ready for this paper? <laughs> <laughs> we would get kicked out. Yeah. It would be the only the only person that that would happen for. Yeah, we'd do
1: it for Danny too.
0: That's true. Yeah, yeah.
1: Anything for Danny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'll see Danny soon. Well, hey, it's so good to be back here, and we are wrapping up. This is not our final episode, but it is our second to last episode of season three. We have been talking about a uh, really a vision for cultural engagement. What we've we've affectionately described as the Bonhoeffer House vibe, vibe for engaging culture. And uh, or, or as my friend Reed Monahan has said, it's actually engaging people in culture because culture is not really a thing, right? There's no place you can just go and put it in your hand. So engaging people in culture. And uh, last episode, we talked with Danny Tariq about vocation and calling and how like God uses our particular you know, gifts and activities and placements in his kingdom. This episode, we're talking about the power of living in dynamic tension with the surrounding world. So that's, that's really what we're talking about today is what does it look like to, as Christians in the West, live in this tension between, uh, or, you know, kind of where we're on the one hand repulsing some, and on the other hand attracting some with the same message and the same embodiment. And so we're looking particularly, uh, we're going to look back at the, at the early church in, the, in a pre-Christian West, and the studies of uh, two men in particular, Rodney Stark and Larry Hurtado, that showed just how a small group of persecuted Christians uh, largely on the fringes of society changed the world. And like a matter, you know, when you think back to two thousand years ago, there were like just a bunch of religions. That's what L- Larry Hurtada's book is called, "The Destroyer of the Gods." There's all these different gods and all the- all these religions, and really rapidly, mm-hmm. we went from a very polytheistic West to Christian. How did that happen? Or or lar- largely Christianized, and so we're going to look at that today. And and some of this is kind of brought up by. Um, and we've talked about this as a staff, Aaron Wren wrote an article in 2022 for First Things titled The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism, and we'll link to that in the show notes, where he talks about uh, how there's there's a the positive world, and this is really thinking about um, just American kind of secularization. So this isn't just sort of global, it's very, very American. But in the American, which is where we live, in the American world, that the, that there was a positive world in terms of american secularization this this he dates to pre 1994 society at large has a mostly positive view of christianity and in, in other words if you you know if you identified as a i'm a christian generally the world around you is going to go good you're a good person you're good for society uh you know this is why it was so important that like Uh, our presidents were Christians. You know, what church does Bill Clinton go to? You know, those sorts of things mattered pre-1994. Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society. Uh, Being Christian is a status enhancer publicly. Um, Violating Christian norms can bring negative consequences, right? So that's a positive world. Then a neutral world, he says, last arbitrarily about 20 years, where society has a kind of neutral stance against or towards Christianity so it, you know in other words Christianity's not favored anymore in the West but it's not disfavored either. Um, being publicly known as a Christian isn't really positive or negative It's like oh okay that's fine you do you that's good for you good for you. Um, there's still a valid option within the kind of plural pluralistic public square and Christian moral norms still had a sense of like yeah they're they're good I'm not sure I like them. But generally they're good in and this, then
1: it, in this article did he explain those dates
0: he does so the, like, the, I don't remember the 1994 um, but the what two, changed yeah and the 20 in the 2014 I know, internet.
1: I know I was about to say it feels like yeah. the uptick of Al
0: Gore I guess invented the internet <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about Social the 1994 media. and where he gets that number from um, the 2014, I know he dates that to the Obergefell uh, Supreme Court decision to legalize gay marriage. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, okay. really, at this point, yeah. it's the tipping point. Mm-hmm. That's when you realize, okay, the West is now negative towards Christianity. So he says that's a negative world. So society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. To be known as a Christian is a social negative, especially among the elites, as we know, kind of live in we're, we're not yeah, elites, this, we're just kidding, but <laughs> yes. especially among the elites, uh, Christian morality is is sort of seen no longer as either, yeah, that's good, but it's hard. Now it's actually seen as um, a threat to the good. Repressive. Right. So, and this is where he dates it to 2014, where now it's like, yeah, actually what we're saying is to continue to uphold a Christian moral norm would be repressive, it would be evil, It would it would Oppressive. represent something hmm. that's negative and bad, not something good. And so if you kind of are like, hey, I'm a Christian, that, that can actually bring negative consequences in terms of the sort of, it would violate the secular moral order around us. And so now first, before we move on, how, what, what do you think, what do you guys think about those? Do you think Aaron Wren is, is right? Are those, I mean, regardless of the dates, let's yeah. just say, yeah. you know, generally speaking, are we seeing that that's probably right? Do you agree with that?
1: I definitely think so. Yeah. I can even remember back to feeling that shift. And oh, yeah. Even, even that. Maybe when from you the neutral said, to the negative. Yep, yeah. 1994 definitely. for you was. I was three. The, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't remember that. I
0: remember as a two year old, everybody was patting me on the head <laughs> saying, Good job, Christian. <laughs> yep.
1: Now, I do remember that shift for sure. And I do think a lot of it has to do with um, social media and. Right around that time, just yeah,
0: twenty fourteen would yeah. be kind of really Twitter early early years of Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. As far as, I mean, Facebook had been around, yeah. but moving more towards platforming right. and less about right. just influencers. Connecting. All of yeah. that, yeah.
2: So I was actually going to bring that exact thing up. Is uh, it feels like this still depends a little bit on place. Hmm. So sure. if we're talking yes. about the the like feeling of social media then absolutely feels feels mm-hmm. like it, we have shifted into negative world, but there are still real physical places where um, maybe in the Bible belt. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like a negative world. Sure. Where yeah. you can go into coffee shops or
1: It could schools. even, it still feels like positive world. Yeah. In a and, and it,
2: Christianity is still celebrated, but, mm. but, urban centers, social media, large institutions. I, I live in Blacksburg. Like, it definitely feels like this shift has taken place on campus at, yeah. at Virginia Tech.
0: Um, sure, that's helpful. So thinking thinking in terms of local or place and even the difference between in-person versus online, mm-hmm. those, those shifts maybe have lagged behind. You know, I know even in Radford in our small town in Appalachia, it's a university town and so, like if you're East Radford, yeah. or you're in negative world. If you're West Radford, you're in neutral world. Yeah. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Like, yeah. and so I think that makes sense as far as where you are in place. Um yeah, and, and I think uh, these three shifts I think I, I wonder if the neutral world is much longer than he he put out there as far as nineteen ninety four. Mm-hmm. You know, um uh Stanley Hauerwas in his, in his book um in, in one of his books <laughs> <laughs> I'll you could this out. make
1: one up, and it—I wouldn't know the difference. Oh, uh,
0: you know, Howard uh, <laughs> dates this too. he, he kind of playfully—oh, da- Resident Aliens. I figured it out. Mm. He says the—I I forget the date, but sometime in like 1967 or whatever when they when they uh, when they opened up the movie theater on Sunday, mm. that was the moment where mm. Christendom began to die. Mm. You know, the the world went from positive to neutral at that point because now you could go to go watch a movie instead of go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we're so somewhere I think I I think I agree with Aaron Wren in terms of the basic kind of movement from positive to neutral to negative and I think he's got a really kind of rapid move 20 years I think the moves longer but either way you're talking pretty quick we're not talking about right. centuries right we're talking decades well, so I think what we're finding right now is in a negative world and and I think whether or not we know, think think in terms of this sort of paradigm that In the kind of Christian-influencing cultural engagement world, there's there's a sense that this is true. Like, wait, wait a minute. Why, why is, why is this thing that I believed twenty years ago and was okay, everything was fine? I believe the same thing, and now I'm getting like shut down and canceled and this. So, so I think I think there's a feeling. Yeah, that there's been a shift, and I think that shift into a negative world brings a temptation to. To to go even stronger into either fighting or flighting, right? E- either either um against or these are these are James Safes and Hunter's uh, categories from episode five we talked about relevance to like oh I just kind of you know so that that would be one that we just kind of give up or uh, defensive against and then I think the the third one would be retreat which is part of that defensive against like if we're just get, let's just get away. So we're seeing, I think, a lot of this in the uh, Christian nationalism movement that's happening right now. That's basically like, hey, if we're in a negative world. Let's just beat them. Mm-hmm. Like the world would obviously be better if we were back to Christian moral norms. So just, just get, just beat, just beat them. Let's get better. Let's make it a Christian way. world again. <laughs> yeah. But I think what, what if there was a, what if there's a better way? I'm not talking about a third way necessarily in terms of one that's just in the middle, but, but this is. This, uh, this way of dynamic tension has a historical precedent, and it has it has a historical precedent in a time where the Christian faith was being persecuted and seen negatively. So I want to talk about recovering these practices, the early church and the pre-Christian Rome. Uh, these are practices that saw the gospel as a kind of source and rule of life, a rule that needed to be habituated to be understood. In other words, it wasn't just something that for the early church to be a Christian wasn't just sort of checking a box or or mm-hmm. going through some kind of rote thing. It was like, no, this gospel has to dominate my life. Mm-hmm. And so you saw this this sort of gospel life practices where it, that were pretty radical, that practiced social embodiment and missionary encounters as these little strange communities existing in dynamic tension with a hostile world. Now this kind of dynamic tension, I think is only possible through a community founded on the transforming power of the gospel. Uh, Larry Hurtado, I mentioned this before, um, he was drawing on Rodney Stark's work. Rodney Stark is a sociologist, I think, from Baylor, uh, who's written The Rise of Christianity, The Triumph of Christianity, really studying the early church. And Hurtado, uh, building on his work, uh, describes the dynamic tension that made early Christianity successful in cultural engagement. He says this, A successful religious movement must retain a certain level of continuity with its cultural setting— yet it must also maintain a medium level of tension with that setting as well. So this is in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, and he unpacks kind of like this. So he's essentially saying there has to be something about this community that is attractive, that actually coheres with the surrounding world. Like it's not so, so distinct that people outside of it go, They, they people outside of it have to go, I could see myself in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I can I can understand it. It makes sense, but there has to still be a tension where they go. I don't like that. There's something that they're doing or saying uh, that that I don't like, because otherwise there's not this this sort of combustible engine for growth. Mm. So he unpacks this uh, ways ways that the early church worked to be co- comprehensible and attractive, while also displaying an ethos that was distinct and strange. Okay, so there's. There's some distinguishing practices that, in other words, it kind of provoke some to revile the Christians and would also draw others in that were attracted to the kind of communal flourishing that was on display. Um, all right, so let me talk about, I've got a list of those those things that Hurtado talks about. Um, so the five things that he says, the five elements, he, he gives, them, I think, maybe six or seven, but five that I brought up here is one, uh, multiracial and multi-ethnic. So um, you see this in Ephesians 2 11 through 12 the kind of theological or 11 through 22 the theological kind of driver for this but the the early church was a place where um, you see Jew and Gentile together. Mm-hmm. you see you know um, Greek and Asian together. you see you see people from different classes together. There's this sort of multi-ethnic, community that's different there's something about it that is intention because you've got like the Roman empire saying this thing is unsafe we don't like the christian faith because they're like bringing slaves in and making them members and that does, that's that's a threat to our order mm-hmm. but it was also obviously very attractive if you were a slave or if you were someone who was in a different ethnic people group to be brought in and have a place to belong so one multiracial racial and multi ethnic too highly committed to caring for the poor and marginalized. So generally people cared for their own. So you mm-hmm. care for your own family and and a good family would care for those under their care, you know, supervision. And and actually if you if you study history, the Jewish people were the first to have a kind of um, beyond family, the first sort of organized attempt at a, at a welfare hospital mm-hmm. type thing. But it was it was pretty much limited to if you were so if you were Jewish and you were you know, in, in the first century BC and you were traveling to Rome, you could find the other Jewish people there and they're going to care for you. Yeah. What the, what the Christians did is they, the social project really kind of opened up to say, give us all the poor. Hmm. Give us all the marginalized. Uh, give us all, all the, you know, abandoned babies. Give us all the sick and hurting. So they were highly committed to caring for the poor and marginalized. Third, non-retaliatory and marked by a commitment to forgiveness. So this, this was radical, ethic in the second, third, fourth century. Uh, they didn't retaliate when they were persecuted. So in other words, when you've got, you know, Christians being burned at the stake, they weren't saying, you know, pick up your swords. We got to overthrow these guys. They mm-hmm. were saying, you know, turn me over. I'm not done yet. That's one of the you know, one of the sayings or yeah. one of the things, one of Famous the early quotes. <laughs> yeah, martyrs said when he was being burnt alive. Um, you know, they were saying, no, of course I'm not going to... Re- I'm not going to deny Jesus. Yeah. Like you can, you can kill me. Uh, they were marked by peacemaking and bridge building. So third was non-retaliatory, marked by a commitment to forgiveness. Fourth, strongly and practically. So maybe another way to put it is um, in their speech and their actions, they were against abortion and infanticide. So uh, very, very common practice in uh, especially some of the bigger cities to to just leave leave a baby out. If you, if you're like got pregnant and you didn't want to have that, you know, oh, we already have our two babies or we have our son, uh, they would just leave the baby out to die. Mm. And so the Christians were saying, no, you can't, you shouldn't do that. That's evil. Which, which made people not like them. Mm-hmm. But then they were like picking the babies up off the steps. We'll take them. We'll take them. Yeah. And then fifth, they revolutionized the sex ethic. So they taught that sex was connect, connected to uh, the cosmic order or God's order rather than just the social order, which limits sex to. So in other words, like it's not just what's good for Rome. It's not just what's good for, maybe another way to put it. It's not just just what's good for the men in power in Rome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But actually what is what is it that God orders? How, mm-hmm. how do we how, how does our sexual ethic honor God? So which that means it limits sex to giving one's whole life in marriage covenant. Uh, rather than just personal fulfillment and pleasure for men, so right, you know, it would have been very common for men to be able to just go have sex with temple prostitutes or just prostitutes, and that that was a sort of normal, like yeah, of course, do that so that so that you can be a good husband and, and father, like that's just part of it. And the Christians were like, mm, no, you can't, no, you can't do that. Yeah, this is this is just between one man and one woman for life, and and of course that was another thing that was like. Well, we don't like you saying that you're disrupting our social order, but it was also attractive at the same time because then you've got families that are flourishing because they're practicing these God honoring uh, sexual ethics. So, uh, you know, this so all of these these five elements uh, made the early Christian community offensive and attractive, and I think these five elements are just as offensive and attractive today, and just as as um, kind of radical today uh as they were in the early church so so i'm curious i'm going to kick it to you guys uh, what, what would this look like today in the west are are there are there other ones that we should be practicing that aren't on here and does it make sense Does this idea of like repulsing and attracting at the same time doing the same thing by by our words and our actions does that make sense yeah yes okay definitely. so so what do you think about these five categories what's missing and what would it look like to be, to do this now
1: I just think to start off, it's just, it's impossible to have this conversation taking out media and social media, which is so one dimensional and takes away the opportunity to have embodied communal conversation and dialogue. And because of that, I think it's... This is just really, really hard. We were even talking before, Michael and I were talking before we recorded. It's like, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> e- even, you know, without living in community and seeing fully and wholly. And even then, it, there's, there's just, I don't know. I think with our voices being able to be as loud as we want them to be on the internet and Audiences from everywhere not seeing the full story and the full, um, the whole of us mm. words. It's just, it's, it's just really hard.
0: Yeah. I, like, wonder- I feel
1: like rep- because of the negative world, mm-hmm. um, on the internet, <laughs> it's like repulsion is just the, the, the primary reaction and it's hard to attract when you're not embodied with people.
0: Mm. Yeah, so Holly, it almost feels like you're you're bringing up multiple things. One is is the challenge, the unique challenges to do any of this. Yeah. So just period. Yeah. It's uniquely challenging because if we were Christians like kind of underground in Rome 1800 years ago, the only people that would know about us would be the people that see us and the people that like hear about that through word of mouth, I mean they, we're talking hundreds mm-hmm. of people that hear about us, and if they want to figure out like well, who are they, they'd have to come like look you know yeah, yeah. You, they, now Damn. that there were rumors then too, there were sort of slander, there was like you know the Christians were um incestuous because they married their brothers and sisters, which of course was like
2: just familial language, yeah, we're using yeah. spiritual <laughs> yeah. family language, yeah.
0: but uh we were we were um you know cannibals cannibals cuz we're eating flesh mm-hmm. and drinking blood and when we get together there were things that they didn't understand about yeah. <laughs> liturgical practices and theological language yeah. that needed translation that that led to sort of you know the type of sort of internet canceling we might mm-hmm. see now but but the challenge is much bigger now yeah but i wonder too so are are the third one non-retaliatory mm-hmm. and marked by commitment to forgiveness yeah I wonder if that's something we could practice, even in an age in which the internet rapidly makes people on the internet rapidly make decisions and then just sort of go, they're bad.
1: Mm, absolutely, yeah.
0: So there's opportunity there. And then the last thing I'd mention that you brought up that I think deserves its own category is, we're, the they were they were dealing with the unique issues of their time. I think one of the unique issues of our time is the lack of embodiment. Mm-hmm. The the yeah. The and and it's only going to get more right yeah. with the AI with virtual reality. Yep. The, like it could be that our grandkids are living in a world in which they rarely see real people, um, and that obviously they can conceive of that. Eighteen hundred years ago, two thousand yeah. years ago. And so I wonder if if part of the the dynamic tension is saying no stop yeah like be a real person yeah. with real people and then demonstrating see, see isn't this better yeah
2: you're bringing up the one the one thing that came to mind for me to add to this list which is like if you know if number five is revolutionize the sex ethic then I, I'm thinking number six is is like uh, revolutionize our anthropology yeah revolutionize mm-hmm. what we what we think of when we think of what a human being is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. So I feel like that category is a, is a really big one right now. Um, of if we, uh, if we can have a clear vision as Christians of here's what it looks like to be a embodied person, uh, living as a man or woman in relationship, um, with other, other men and women, um, we have an opportunity to present something that's more Mm. compelling than like get online and (laughs) be whoever you want to be or, Mm. um, or, you know, in the, in the confusion of growing up, figure out your own identity, whether it's sexual or, uh, or gender or, you know, um,
0: figure out who you are, um, Yeah, let me let me tease that out a little bit. So because I I think you're exactly right. You know, what is a what is a man, what is a human, what is a what is a yeah, what is a human is exactly where we are in terms of our cultural moment. Yeah. And so so let's just say I say something like um, that that humanhood, personhood is derivative of God. Yeah. That men are only those in which God has given biological gametes and chromosomes and body parts that are male and female same thing you know yep and and i'm saying that uh gender dysphoria or dysmorphia is a real thing right so in other words someone may actually struggle with their embodied reality that because we live in a fallen world yeah this may be a reality but the best way for them to flourish is actually to fit into god's design which means if they're born a man to be a man, I'm yeah. just saying and to do that in community. So, okay, I'm saying that that's offensive. Yep, mm-hmm. that brings reviling. Yep, and it will bring more. But if, on the other hand, we're we also are demonstrating a a community in which men and women who may actually have those who, who let's say have that a- actual struggle with their body. Yep, and we're saying, okay, come and live with us. Be be who God has designed you to be. Yeah struggle with us because we're not saying just snap your fingers and stop feeling how you feel or whatever, but just come in, come in and be disciple to Jesus. And if you're born a man, be a man. Yeah. And, and, and if that, if that community is actually a place in which that person can, can thrive, can flourish, because we really think flourishing is only possible for them if they live in alignment with God's order. Yeah. Then we're, then we're showing what we're, we're showing that, Hey, what we're saying sounds offensive, but if you, if you look closely this is the only pathway for you, that that has any life to it, mm. in, in a way that if if someone outside is looking in, they might be like, "Hey, that's wrong. That's offensive. That's morally bad." But there's something attractive about that. You're telling me I could come in there and I and and like you guys would love me and accept me and point me. You know, so so I think I think you're right. I think that category.
2: I think we're also saying, uh, find find that meaning life in an embodied community instead of going and trying to mm-hmm. find it virtually. Yeah. Um, because that that's, and I think that's part of what Holly was saying earlier is there's this, there's this pull towards, okay, but I feel this in internally, this, uh, dysphoria. I, I'm, I'm struggling with this and you're telling me come live in community, struggle with us uh, find life in Jesus with us and simultaneously there's a there's a community online where they can say no come yeah express yeah. who you are uh you'll be accepted you'll here you'll be accepted yeah. here but it's but it's di- largely disembodied and worse I think part of what we're wanting to say is um flourishing as a human being means Find your life in an embodied community, um, not not on the internet. <laughs> yeah. um, you will you'll be lacking something if if the primary place you find uh, human relationship and community is mediated through a device.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's good, and that that'll will we'll transition there for our final episode. Because yeah. our final episode, we're going to talk about building actual embodied communities. That are good true and beautiful yes. that offer counter catechisms and counter liturgies and we'll get into all that but yes i think that's right so so that might be a seventh category one just around um, demonstrating d- talking about what a human is and demonstrating the goodness of fitting your humanity fitting your um, identity into god's god's you know what god says about you rather than or in how god designed you rather than self-expression and then two uh the seventh one being um, really, maybe just saying, get off the internet. <laughs> well, and I mean, some I'm of this, it. like this, I, maybe I should do a get off my lawn. Oh. Yeah. Uh, let, let me save it. Get let off my virtual it. lawn. <laughs> let me save it. I'll do it here. I'll do it tonight. I'll do it before we finish. Um, yeah, remind me. Ask me what my get okay. off my lawn is.
2: Um, so. Otherwise, those five are. Yeah, if you
0: think yeah. about those five, multiracial, multiethnic, we live in a time that's super divided between. Yep. Um, you know, those who would be um, very much like tear it all down. It's it's all white supremacy. It's the only the only solution is, you know, invert power structures. Yep. To those on the other side that are just like, well, you're too woke because you you know you you think that there's any kind of racial problem at all. Yep. And generally, people it feels like people are being pulled more and more towards these combative sides. Yeah. And what an opportunity for the church to say actually, there's a pretty radical multi ethnic. Multi well, multi ethnic vision for flourishing and, and uh, having a just society together here on earth that is non retaliatory, that is a, a culture marked by forgiveness, yep. that is uh, about uh, lifting up and, uh, and dignifying people of all races and, and ethnicities. to you know, hi- highly committed to caring for the poor and marginalized, um, you know, opportunities for the church and for Christians to demonstrate that non retaliatory. Uh, strongly and practically against abortion and infanticide. Seems obvious that the church in the West is against abortion. Like that, yeah. we're known for that. Mm-hmm. But and I and I think we were talking about this off the air. I think the church in the West is is pretty good with fostering an adoption. Yeah, but we're not really known for that. We, you know, we need we need a PR company. <laughs> no, uh, uh, I'm kidding. Um, but I mean, you know, being even more known for. I think the three of us, our families have all fostered, our families have all adopted, yeah the church is like when, when we when we've talked with local adoption agencies yeah. and local foster you know foster care systems and, and workers, it's it's really the church yeah. and christians who are who are doing, at least in our area, yeah yep, yeah, who are doing I don't think that
1: that's universal, but definitely here,
0: yeah, and so and there's so
1: much more to be done.
0: There's so I can't, much more. I
1: can't let this conversation go without saying that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's so much more. And, Get and, involved. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And the, and the church should be involved. And the yes. church should be doing more than just supporting the PRC, which is our pregnancy yeah. resource center, helping yeah. helping young women make decisions not to abort their babies. But we should also be adopting. We should mm. also be fostering. And we should be promoting that in the church. Okay, and so
1: caring for biological families and all of life. On, you and, know? on yes. and on and yes. on. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: So here we go. Okay, so listeners, friendos, uh, step into... Now, here's the hard thing about dynamic tension. What do we want to do with our tension? Like, generally, I want to be out from under Get it. Get rid of it. Get <laughs> rid of it. Yeah. When I feel tension... I would like
1: to run away. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's and my so, biggest thing. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, this is an invitation into a harder life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to live in tension. Even some of it is trying to figure out what do I say and what do I do and, and what does tension look like? In this situation and so this is you know it's a hard calling yeah it's a hard calling but step into the tension don't just resolve it by deciding everyone's bad or everyone's good and you know go to war or run away because in the early church this caused persecution right the, the, the early christian churches were viewed as dangerous to the social order but the social costs of becoming a christian and being a christian actually in a kind of paradoxical way increased the numbers and the influence of the early church Hurtado finishes his book, This he says this towards the end, for the earliest years, what became Christianity went trans-ethnic and translocal, addressing males and females of all social levels and generating circles of followers who were expected to commit to particular beliefs and behavior from the point of initiation into the young religious movement. In other words, this was spread all over the place, men and women, and it was a, a high cost. Like You come in and you are just initiated and you've got, you, you're committed. He goes on to say, though initially small and insignificant in the first centuries, the movement continued to grow and spread geographically, quickly obtaining a salience and having an impact well beyond its numbers. Mm. Now, see, th- this is where it's different for us in the West, uh, in the decline of Christianity or, or uh, Christendom in the West. It's not small and insignificant. There's still a, I mean, there's still, you know, a high percentage of Americans that would consider themselves Christians, even a high percentage that go to church compared to pre-Christian Rome in the West, right? Very small then. Yeah. And I think um, you know, we still hold enough political power that there's a temptation to fight and retain that power and and even get more of it. But I think what I what I, what I want for us as Bonhoeffer House churches is, is to engage the culture well in a dynamic tension. Where we draw distinctives from theological sources, where we articulate clearly, even in the face of cultural pressures, with courage and clarity, the truth of the, of the biblical order, the truth of the gospel, but that we also at the same time embody a kind of communi- communal ethos that attracts converts, that compels an audience. And this embodiment is exactly what we're going to talk about in our final episode. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we build and construct and live in alternative communities of goodness, truth, and beauty? How do we, how do we combat the kind of um, immersive liturgies and catechisms of the negative world around us? And I'll, I'll unpack that some. But before then,
2: get off my <laughs> lawn.
0: Let's hear it. Get off my lawn. I'm nervous. So if this is your first episode, one of our two segments we introduced this season is Get Off My Lawn, which is where I rant. And, and all,
1: Holly hides under the table. Holly, Holly, you know,
0: the first yeah. one of these we did, Holly had to be like, he doesn't mean it. <laughs> I did mean it, all of it. <laughs> I do mean this. Uh, Get Off My Lawn, uh, pastors and church leaders who are using... Virtual reality, and Fine by me. AI keep going.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't to know, their no. people.
0: <laughs> okay, so here's what I mean. I don't know about this. Yeah. Okay, yeah so this
1: is like the crabs and the orcas but, to me. Is okay. this happening? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There are orcas out there attacking yachts, and there are Christian leaders out there that are using AI to write their sermons. There now, there's now <gasps> oh, people out there using yeah. AI to preach their sermons, using a kind of vir- virtual sort of avatar. Yeah. That and, and that are and that, <laughs> that are planting VR churches. No, so that, so that people can put on their goggles and then just go to your virtual reality church. This is happening. Look, this is so this is, sad. that's a real thing. Yes, it's a real thing.
2: Oh, I feel even more strongly about my uh,
1: my
0: number seven. So so what's Get happening? Off
1: all of our lives. What's happening We're agreeing is with Jesse for a while. You got
0: these you got these pragmatic church leaders who are going. Hey, people are going there. We got to go where the people are okay okay here's the problem is they're not people they're avatars yeah they're not they people aren't going there people are going to their bedroom to sit and yeah. put their goggles on people yeah. are going to their living room to sit and put their goggles on so well you can't go to their bedrooms but go to the people so <laughs> don't go to don't do vr if you can't you can't have a virtual reality church get off my lawn
1: yeah get off mine
2: too
0: that's a bunch of garbage good good <laughs> Get off our lawn. Thank you, friendos, (laughs) for listening to the Hammer and Quill Season 3, Episode 7. And we hope that you have a bit more vision for living in dynamic tension with a hostile world. And next week, tune in, or next episode, we're going to, again, talk about how to build good, true, and beautiful communities. How do we we kind of build and form the communities that are attractive, that are saying, hey, Mm -hmm. there's a different way, and it's offensive to you, but trust us. I'm it's excited actually, about this one. I'm excited too. It's actually better.
2: It feels like all of the other ones were just groundwork to, to get to this <laughs> yeah. one. So, so you better hope So that you we better make tune it. in. You better tune
0: in that we make that last and episode. And we better do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow the Hammer and Quill on your favorite podcasting app and write us a quick review, letting us and others know how we're doing. Give us the five stars, spread the word. Let's get more people listening. Uh, we are so glad you listened today. If you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts, please write in at info at until next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.